Joining us today on a special episode of the Jesus Famous Podcast with Pastor Nate Holdridge. Today we have a special guest in the studio sharing their story about how Jesus has changed their life. Join us as we discuss stories and discover how Jesus is famous in the testimonies of those around us. All right. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Jesus Famous Podcast. Today we got a special episode. I'm Nate Holdridge, pastor at Calvary Monterey, and I'm with Pastor Matt Kaler, one of the assistant pastors here at Calvary Monterey. And we're going to be talking with Pastor Matt about uh, his living with cystic fibrosis. Matt just recently turned 40 years old, which is a big deal for any man, but is a big deal for someone living with CF. And so we're going to talk about what it's been like to have that diagnosis and deal with that um, condition, what it's been like to be married and have a family and uh, how he's currently doing as well as thinking about how to minister to people who have significant trials in their lives that will perhaps even stay with them for the entirety of their lives, barring God's intervention directly in the form of a miracle or something like that. But uh, Matt, it's great to have you here today. Thanks for hanging out. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. So before we really get into it, um, you are uh, an assistant coach right now. This is true. (laughs) uh, Both of your sons or just your older son? Just my oldest, my eight-year-old. Yeah. So assistant coach for local baseball team. Mm -hmm. And you recently told me that the head coach made an interesting decision. Uh, I was hoping you could let us all in on what that decision was. Yeah. It's a good way to, good way to start this out. Um, just to get it out there. (laughs) So, um, yeah, it was the day that we were taking team pictures and uh, actually, it was a, a day before, and the coach, the head coach, sent a text to me and the other assistant coach and just said, hey, just want to let you guys know, I would like all of the coaches to come dressed in white baseball pants, black belt, tucked in shirt. See you there. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I shared the text with my wife and uh, said, well, Maybe I, I'm pretty sure this is just for pictures. He probably just wants us to look good right. for pictures. Keep the receipts on. Keep the receipt. Yeah. Keep the tags on. Totally. Yeah. So, you know, ran a big five, grabbed some baseball pants. I didn't have any baseball pants on hand, you know, oddly enough. So I had to go go get some. Um, and yeah, showed up, showed up to pictures and uh, just waiting, you know, waiting for our turn. I was standing by our head coach and I just thought, I, I better... I better just cl- make sure, you know, that this is just kind of a picture thing. So I just kind of leaned over and I was like, hey, um, so we're taking pictures. But I mean, for games, are you wanting us to dress out for games? And he just kind of keeps his head forward and just shakes his head. Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Got a serious man there. Serious man. So I like it. Yeah, I've been dressing out for every game, coming yeah. uh, coming with my baseball pants and my Has shirt tucked in. Has it been working? Has the intimidation factor really kind of affected the other coaching staff, you think? Yeah, you know, I think um, out of the 10 games we've played, we've won two so far. <laughs> okay, so, well, hey, it might be that you would have been 0-10 and I'm not thinking, 2 and 8. I'm thinking it may have been, yeah, a winless season, except were it not for those baseball pants. Well, I got the opportunity recently to go watch your son play a game, and it was enjoyable seeing you in your white baseball pants, <laughs> Pastor Matt. Hey, man, uh, um, 
I was thinking about this uh, episode and yeah. talking about this. And first of all, I really appreciate that you're willing to talk about it. It's personal to you, sure. obviously. It's a personal yeah. part of your life. But I've really appreciated over the years how you have, at least here at Calvary Monterey, been willing to talk about it publicly, share this part of your life. Uh, it's been helpful. I think also necessary because I think, you know, you came here, you were still in your early 30s. And now as a 40-year-old man, I mean, we weren't all that certain how CF was going to impact your health while you were serving here. So it was kind of good to be like a, hey, full disclosure, there might be times I need to take care of my body Hmm. in ways that are different from other guys on the staff. So I've really appreciated this. But for those who don't know what CF is, I'm going to have you talk about it in a second. But I was looking up cystic fibrosis on the Mayo Clinic website. Oh, yeah. Yeah. there's this one line. It says, although cystic fibrosis is progressive and requires daily care, people with CF are usually able to attend school and work. They often have a better quality of life than people with CF had in previous decades. Improvements in screening and treatments mean that people with CF now may live into their mid to late 30s or 40s, and some are living into their 50s. And mm. it was that Last line that really caught my attention, of course, is not new information to me. But when you read that in black and white mm-hmm. on a respectable medical journal website like that, it just it really settles in like this is a this is a serious thing. Mm-hmm. And so I'm curious if you could just first describe for all of us what is cystic fibrosis? Yeah. Yeah, totally. So it's a, like the website said, it's a progressive disease. It's a genetic disease. So both parents need to have the defective gene. And then there's a one in four chance that their children will get CF. Um, and it, it really, um, kind of the, the causes of CF are ongoing lung infections, um, decreases the, the body's ability to breathe well over time. And that's, um, that's why it, it, it is life shortening, you know, mm-hmm. quite honestly. So the, the goal is to keep your lungs as healthy and as clear from infection as possible. So even a, a minor cold can turn into way more for a CFR. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're, you know, we were doing COVID protocols before COVID, you know, was a thing. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we were keeping six feet distance from people that were sick, you know, before, before the pandemic and all those things. But, Um, so yeah, the lungs, the digestive system, the sinuses, your body, because of a, you know, a defect in the genetic code, um, it produces a thick, sticky mucus that just causes problems, Mm -hmm. right? So bacteria, a, a certain amount of mucus is good in the lungs, but a lot of it causes bacteria to get stuck, which then kind of breeds infection and then infection over time will just continue to damage the lungs, deteriorate the lung quality. So just one of those things that, um, you know, you, you've really, you've really got to, you've got to kind of fight and, and do a lot of preventative work mm-hmm. to stay as healthy as you can. So yeah, for me, I'm, um, you know, kind of taken medication since I was a kid, lots of doctor's appointments, um, taking pills every time I eat. Uh, that, those are those are some of the like the common things that I have to do. Um, breathing treatments, growing up, <laughs> trying to keep things clear, and uh, and so yeah, that's a that's a little bit of of what CF is. But you're you're right in that man. That the marker for 
for kind of life expectancy keeps getting further out, which is really encouraging. Yeah, that's a blessing, of course, to you, but to all of us Mm -hmm. who know you and love you, we're blessed by that. Now, you said that when the markers are there, genetically, one in four of a couple's children could have CF. Mm -hmm. You weren't the only one of your parents' kids that had CF. So you had a sister who also had CF. Yeah, yeah. My sister, about three years younger than me, she had CF as well. And so growing up, you know, there was a there's definitely a connection there that, that we kind of battled a lot of the same things and went through the same things and saw the same doctors. And, um, so her, her CF and they don't really know why certain siblings are affected more than others. They've done studies on it. It's still kind of inconclusive, but for whatever reason, I was just, my lungs were always healthier than my sister's. Her lung function was a good 20, 30% lower than mine was. And, um, that was just kind of the way it was growing up. And okay. yeah, I, I'm, it wasn't because I was extra disciplined on my treatments or things like that, but yeah, she definitely same had a harder, same, same environment. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So describe for me, um, you know, it sounds like early on in your childhood, you come to learn that you have cystic fibrosis, your parents, I'm sure. And doctors are explaining it to you in, an age appropriate way. Mm-hmm. How, how young were you when you started being really conscious of this and that, okay, uh, there's things I have to do to take care of myself. And, and what was it like for you kind of going through those elementary, middle school, high school years yeah. uh, with CF? Yeah. You know, I knew there was something different about my body early on, you know, having to take pills, you know, having three older siblings, that didn't have CF and a younger sibling that did, I knew, you know, my sister hope we're, we're different. There's something about our bodies that just isn't working like everybody else. And I would ask questions of my parents, you know, why do I have to take enzymes, these pills every time I eat, and, you know, their, their responses were pretty simple, you know, well, your body doesn't work the same way as everybody else's. And, um, you know, that was enough for me early on that I just knew, okay, something's different. And, uh, you know, got, sick more, had a lot of, I coughed, you know, basically my whole life, had a cough my whole life. Uh, But it wasn't until middle school that I really started to understand my disease more. And Mm. it kind of corresponded with going to a new clinic where um, they, they really took a different approach, a more hands-on approach to managing my, my CF. Okay. And they kind of wanted to bring me in. I think they realized at that age, like, Hey, he's, he's got to start taking ownership of this thing. So that's really where it hit home. Um, that, Oh, now that, you know, now I'm reading for myself about CF. I'm understanding more the implications of this thing. Um, kind of for the first time coming really to terms was, with life yeah. expectancy issues and things like that, man, and in middle school, my parents made a decision early on that they were, um, for better or worse, they were going to kind of, um, keep a lot of the details in my condition, mm-hmm. you know, kind of, um, private from me even, mm-hmm. uh, until I was a little bit older. So yeah. probably wanted to just let you be a kid as much as possible without yeah. that weighing on you and totally. how's a child going to process that information? What a yeah. tough thing to, to handle as a parent. I mean, it's so hard. It's hard for a kid to understand what being 40 years old even is, 
let alone, yeah. well, that's your life expectancy or something like that. What a tough conversation. Totally. So unenviable position for them to be so in. So hard. Sure. Yeah. And I think their intentions were really good. They didn't want us to, to, to feel held back. You know, they didn't want to limit us. And I think that, I think the condition, you know, for parents that are trying to under, you know, trying to make that hard decision, do we, do we inform our child about his or her situation? I think the, the condition dictates a lot of that too. Um, you know, uh, awareness is a big thing. So there's the, the, the argument against is, Hey, the earlier, you know, the more that you're going to be able to, um, develop habits and rhythms that can be so beneficial to your disease and managing your disease. And so, you know, they decided if, if you're going to pick an age, um, there's not a lot happening in middle school, you know, for a young kid. <laughs> Developmentally, so, it's yeah. really no big deal. It's I kinda, mean, yeah. You're just cruising. It was like, okay, let's talk about this. I'm ready. So, oh, that's good. So, before we go further, you know, I didn't want to just like keep building this up and, yeah. you know, at the end, talk about how you're doing today. I thought, let's just let everybody know how you're doing today. Yeah. There have been some advancements. I don't know how much you want to get into it, but at 40 years of age, you're in really good health for someone with CF and we're all rejoicing Mm. about that. So I don't know how much you want to say on that subject, but, um, yeah, I thought it'd be good for us to not leave a cliffhanger there, but just let people know you're you're actually doing really well. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be a bummer if we didn't get to that part. (laughs) Dan runs out of tape or something. Yeah. So I'm doing really well. You know, Nate, I'm feeling better at 40 than I've felt, I think in the last decade or more. And I mean, God's grace. Um, and I say God's grace because I really do give him, you know, praise for it. Um, and I believe his common grace seen in humanity through, the advancements in science and medications and about, um, about seven years ago in the CF world, a new groundbreaking medication came out the first of its kind. They call them CF modulators. They're the first to attack the underlying cause of CF, the defective, um, the mutated kind of, um, protein that affects, um, basically the development of mucus in your system. And so it's the first one to like modulate that at the, at the cellular level, (laughs) how they're doing it. I don't understand the science or the biology, but man, um, since then they've come out with several iterations of these CF modulators, the one I'm currently on. And it's the one that they're, they have touted as the miracle drug called Trikafta has just been a game changer for my disease. Um, I got on it, two years ago and, uh, coming out of a stay in the hospital, my worst bout with pneumonia, um, my, my worst kind of hospital stay as a result of my CF. And then a month later got on this, um, Trikafta and it's just been, um, it's just been incredible. So the things that I've had to do just to maintain my lung function, I've been able just to kind of wean off because I don't need to do them anymore. (laughs) My body's not producing the mucus that it was um, before. And so my doctors have just kind of said like, yeah, you're having such an incredible response. You're not the only one. We're now rewriting the rules for CFers essentially. So, um, so it's, it's literally two pills in the morning and a pill at night, you know, And, uh, and by God's grace, you know, it's been a, I've had, my body has just responded so well. So what I want to know is, I mean, the, I know that those lung treatments would take like an hour Yeah. 
in the morning too, right? In the morning I, and night. There or? were times where I would. I, I was on a nighttime regimen, okay. but there were often times I had to do both. I know what you're doing with that extra hour or two every day. I mean, you're all oh, working yeah. here at the church. I'm expecting a little bit more uh, productivity now. Yeah, <laughs> totally. And it's funny because part of the treatments, I had to wear this kind of vest that would shake my lungs and airway clearance. And so, yeah, they, they, you really couldn't have conversation, you know. Um, so there, you know, there was a lot of, um, a lot of that time me and my wife would watch something together and, you know, we'd try to listen, maybe subtitles, you know, read, I would read during that time. Um, I wish I could say I redeemed the time every moment, but that wouldn't be true. Yeah. Well, if you could, I want to ask you some questions just about, um, uh, people's interactions with you over the years and maybe Mm -hmm. best practices for, uh, ministering to someone who's got uh, you know a permanent trial that they're dealing with that's kind of a fixture in their life. I'm sure you've had people succeed in ministering to you and fail in trying to minister to you. But before we get into that and kind of just bring it into some practical counsel for people, I'm curious also just how CF, for better or worse, has affected uh, relationships mm. that you, uh, have in life. I mean, you're a married man, you have mm-hmm. two beautiful young boys and, uh, you know, are deeply embedded in the fabric of the church mm-hmm. locally. People love you and care about you. I would imagine there's even some moments where relationships go a little bit deeper or are a little more important or, Mm. um, I've seen you and Bree really, you know, prioritize your, uh, relationship together and your Mm -hmm. family because of perhaps a sense that time is precious and we don't want to take any moment for granted, you know, Mm. it's, I think those are positive uh, outcomes and reactions, you know, Mm -hmm. so maybe a first question to ask you in this little category is when you were in high school, did you ever, um, use your illness as a way to like get girls (laughs) at all? (laughs) Oh man. I, you know, I, I kind of had like a strict no dating policy during high school. It was during, it was during the, you know, the courtship era. I kissed dating goodbye. I will say I may have used it for some sympathy, though, you know, definitely um, probably pulled that card a little bit. And um, What self-respecting high school man <laughs> would not do Would that. not, yeah. yeah. There's got to yeah. be some, some benefit. <laughs> got to be. Got to be. I know. I mean, the, the one thing in terms of benefits for CF, which you know this one is, um, you know, part of the, the deal is the mucus that's you know, kind of built up in your pancreas, which kind of blocks your enzymes from being able to absorb all the nutrients from your body or from your food. And so you kind of have to double up on your calories. So that's a, that's more of a physiological benefit, relational benefits. Um, yeah, you know, I think what you described, Nate is you just put it so well, man, is that there was always this kind of sense, like at least once I, I started to understand my, my situation and and my body and my condition, that time is short. And, um, you know, I think, I think there was a sense like, I want to, I want to, I want to connect with people on a level that isn't superficial. Um, 
or, or at least have those connections that are deeply meaningful because there's a sense that um, I don't know how long the Lord has me around. And I also have to kind of understand, I, I believe that even though the question of why did this happen, I won't be able to answer this side of heaven. Why did God create my body this way to where my genetic code <laughs> is, um, is affected and, and, and this is my, my story? I don't know the why, but I know that I don't want to waste it. I don't want to waste this life. And I feel like if God can even use me and my situation and even us in a small part CF to minister to someone else and to be an example or gosh, maybe not an example, but even just um, another signpost to God's glory and God's goodness in, in the face of suffering, in the face of difficulty, man, I don't want to waste any of that. And so um, I, I feel like the Lord has allowed me to have conversations and build relationships that can quickly, I think, go in, into that more meaningful zone um, just based on people knowing hey, this is his lived reality and to connect on a, on a pretty cool level that way. So, and then of course my wife, you know, um, you know, she's really the star I think in, and probably deserves a podcast of her own in that she chose to link her life with mine, <laughs> knowing what she was signing up for, you know, um, I didn't conceal the fact that I had CF, <laughs> you know, that, that wasn't, uh, that wasn't possible. But so she fully knew marrying me was going to mean, um, at least she was going to be, have to be prepared for a level of suffering earlier on probably than, um, than maybe the average spouse. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Well, I fully agree with you that she deserves to have her own podcast. It remains to be seen whether I can get her to podcast <laughs> yeah. with me. This is true. This is true. Yeah. <laughs> but she is a gem. And yeah, I, you, I just love watching you guys in your relationship and your dynamic together. And yeah, working through some really serious things in your, mm. you know, early mid twenties when you guys first, you know, got married and, yeah. and uh, you know, started on this journey together. So what are, what are some ways, you know, I mean, do you ever kind of get to the point where you're like, yeah, okay. I, I've thought a lot about my mortality, probably more than your average, you know, guy in his thirties or now forties. Sure. Um, but I also just want to hang out. <laughs> you know, I, I don't want to always have everyone be so conscious of this thing that is looming in my life or something, yeah. you know, just, Hey, I just treat me normally. Yeah. I don't really want to go there right now. I, I think I have felt that, you know, it, not really with closer friendships because, mm -hmm. um, you know, it's, it's not something that I, I try to wear as, you know, on, on my, on my sleeve, like constantly like, oh man, my CF mm -hmm. and, and because I'm, I'm healthy, I'm relative, even for a CF or, um, you know, that, that's, that's not been something that I think defines me, although it describes me. And so totally, totally willing to talk about it at any time. I've never been opposed to that. Um, but yeah, I, I think, I think, yeah, there are times where, where it is like, Hey, let's, let's do this, you know, live in life. There's so much, 
so much good stuff that God is doing in life and, and so many things for me to be thankful for that, um, that, yeah, I, I, I do try not to focus on what, what is not or what could be. Yeah. So, and I'm sure people at times will react in kind of strange or jarring ways. I imagine mm-hmm. like if, you know, because yeah, you're right. Looking at you, of course, there's nothing that communicates. Oh, I'm, I'm, not well, I'm sick, you know, like yeah. you're, you're a strapping young man. Well, thank you. You know, pull, full of piss and vinegar, <laughs> as they used to say. That's right. But, uh, you know, I'm sure that there are times where someone maybe that you know a little bit or you're just getting to know and yeah. as you're getting to know them, it comes out, yeah, I have cystic fibrosis and for them, they're processing it for the very first time. Yeah. So I'm right. sure you get a lot of like, oh you know, I'm sorry. It's like they're going through the stages of grief right there totally. in front of you. You're like, yeah. Hey, I'm still here. I've been dealing with this. I'm, yeah. I'm good to go. Um, totally. so what are yeah. some like, um, uh, not just counsel for people who, you know, meet someone who has CF, but you know, I'm just thinking about, gosh, you know, we meet people who have uh, cancer, which has more of an immediacy to it, you know, and, and just like the, the C word is just so oh, scary yeah. for us or, you know, other illnesses that maybe aren't even, uh, life shortening or life threatening, but you're just living with them. It's not going anywhere and it really kind of affects your, you know, everyday life and experience. Right. What are some things you've picked up over the years that like, gosh, this really works when you go this route and this really doesn't work when you go this route. Yeah. You know, I think, um, for people that deal with chronic illness they're yeah, they've gone through those stages and there's, there's a a sense where to us, it's just very normal and it's not, it's not something that we wake up you know, having to accept over and over again. I mean, I'm maybe just speaking for myself, having kind of, you know, 18 months or 15 months diagnosed with CF. So it's just been my lived experience. Um, and so for me, I think I, I understand people's kind of like, Oh wow. I did not realize that, especially with CF, because that's one of the things that they talk about in in the CF community is that from the outside, you wouldn't know that there's anything Mm -hmm. going on but that it is a, it is a life shortening illness. And, um, and then, you know, the daily life, there's, there's, there's things about the daily life that can, can be challenging. But I would just say for people, um, you know, I, I don't feel I've got so much support that the, the, like, the need to feel something for me. I don't, I don't need that, you know, like, Oh man, I am so sorry <laughs> because, um, you know, for me, it's, I, I'm not, I'm not sorry that God made me this way. You know, there, there's been times in my life where I've had to surrender that to him and, and do some work with him. Like God, why? And this is hard. And, um, but man, I, I have accepted it and have looked to embody more like Romans eight twenty eight that, mm. and we know all things work together for good to those that love God and are the called according to his purposes. So I know that there are things about my disease that are not good. (laughs) And that verse isn't saying that CF is good, but it's saying that God promises to work good out of it. Mm -hmm. And so to, to maybe, um, to maybe just, you know, have, 
as much as you can not be shocked and, you know, not think, oh man, now uh, this changes our relationship because it's just a, it, again, it describes me, but it doesn't define me. Yeah. So that's beautiful. Yeah. Well, what are some of the ways that, you know, over the years, I mean, you've been, you've known the Lord for a long time. You were raised in a Christian family. You've yeah. been walking with the Lord for a long time. And in those different stages of your life, you know, those middle school years, high school years, young adult years, you're entering into middle age. What are some of the ways that God has ministered to you directly Mm. uh, regarding your CF? Yeah. Well, I think in the middle school, high school years, it really was um, this sense that 2 Corinthians 4, you know, we we don't um, look to what is seen. We look to what is unseen. What is seen is temporary. What is unseen is eternal. This real, I think, wrapping my, my heart and my mind around that as a Christian that goes through something difficult, we have resources and we have perspective that the secular worldview or perspective just cannot compare with. <laughs> the idea that there is more after this life mm. that, um, that I understand the world as it is today is not the one that, that God originally created. that this wasn't his original, um, plan for us and design, but there's a thing called sin that just has kind of wreaked havoc on our world. And so my body, my body is, is not, um, the best version that, you know, it could be or whatever. And, and I think that's probably true of, of all of us, especially as we get older. And so I think those years was really about formulating a theology around difficulty, illness, suffering, and, um, and understanding even in the midst of it, like God's good. Mm-hmm. And I, I want, I want other people to know that. And I've always just been kind of an optimistic person glass half full kind of person. And so, um, I think it was later years I had to reconcile with like, well, yeah, maybe, yeah, glass is half full a lot of the time, but maybe I need to like pause and just make sure that, that I'm allowing myself to, to understand the implications even. And I think being married and having my wife come in really, really helped me mm. develop a deeper, richer kind of fullness for walking through difficulty and suffering. But yeah, I think those first few decades was really about forming a theology that that I think was the soil that could really plant something really solid in. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm thankful for that. That was really that was really needed. And and I think another thing that marked those early decades was uh, a, a desire to not waste the suffering that I talked about. Mm-hmm. You know, so I remember an opportunity I had because um, I you kind of just start to learn that there's other people that have CF and you kind of start to um, network a little bit and get to know certain people. There was a a young man who I didn't know, but knew someone who knew him. He was in the hospital. He was in his, I think early twenties. And I mean, our, our CF, he had his CF and was, it was basically like towards the end of his life and our lives could not have been any more polar opposite in how we approached our disease. Mm. Um, he kind of took the, the ethos of, you know, you only live once. I'm going to live this life. I don't care how long it is, how short I'm just going to go for it. And I don't care what I do to my body. 
So he did everything even a healthy person shouldn't do when it came to substances and abuse and all that kind of a thing. And it just wrecked him at 22 years old. He's, he's, he's towards the end. So I had the opportunity to go and meet him in the hospital. It was a really unique experience. And I remember talking to him and yeah, I just, I was 18, he was 22 and he'd lived way more life than I had up until that point. And, uh, and, you know, we talked about CF, had some common ground there. And then it got to the point where I was ready to leave. And I just thought, man, I can't leave this guy without asking him about his eternal destiny. So I, I just, I remember even almost walking out and just said, hey, can I ask you a question, Anthony? His name was Anthony. And I just said, classic evangelistic question. Hey, if you were to die tonight and stand before God and he said, why should I let you into heaven? What would you say? And so... He gave an answer about, um, well, I, you know, I believe heaven and hell are what we make of it here on earth. And, you know, you can live your own hell. You can live your own heaven. And so he kind of gave this answer. And I just said, well, can I tell you what, what I believe and what the Bible says? And I was able to share the gospel with him and, you know, really pleaded with him to make a decision about Jesus before his life was through. And so, um, left feeling like, okay, Lord, you gave me that opportunity. And it was because of CF that I was able to have this mm-hmm. weighty conversation with this young man. And then it was six months later, I got a call that he had passed. And, um, and I mean, it, it was so sobering to realize like, man, for me to look at eternity with hope and go, man, I, yes, Lord, you're going to take me one day. You know, I I hope I get to to be on this earth as long as possible, Um, especially I have kids and and a wife, um, but I also want to, you know, expand his kingdom. But then to think of somebody like an Anthony who looked at eternity or or, or what he thought was eternity with maybe with despair and and with no hope, you know, not having Christ. And it, it was just really sobering for me. And so I think that's also kind of guided the way that I, I view difficulty and suffering, wanting to, if the Lord can use me to speak to people who find themselves in that kind of similar situation. Yeah. It, it just as you're talking, you know, thinking about how did God help you particularly in your situation through this, two things that really stand out to me are you know, one, that disposition that you said that you have, you know, that glass half full kind of disposition. I think that was part of God's mercy for you. That's not his answer for everyone who is going to have a significant chronic uh, disease, but he did that for you. And what a blessing. And then secondly, um, I know that he put you in a, a church growing up that was theologically sound. And that helped you because Mm. if you have bad theology about God's character or uh, bad theology about evangelism, bad theology about eternity, bad theology about miracles and healing, like bad theology about any of those categories, and you're dealing with cystic fibrosis, it'll mess you up in all sorts of ways. So what a blessing that you know, he kind of put you in an, in an environment where you get your theological head screwed on right, uh, because I'm sure that was a huge help to you in processing through what this meant. As yeah, you were dealing with it. Totally, man. I think it really was. Yeah, and um, 
you know, I think, I think in addition to the theological side, cause I mean that I found like when you're talking to someone who just got a cancer diagnosis or, you know, someone who's experiencing the long-term effects of Parkinson's or something, something like this, a, a really difficult illness, theology isn't always what they need in that moment. <laughs> you know, as one pastor puts it, it kind of feels like cold comfort. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, okay, thank you. Um, but I, I believe you need that. And, and I always encourage people, Hey, do the theology in the good times so that in those hard times you have something to fall back on. And, um, for me, that's been really important and something I am passionate about, but in those moments, you know, and I think for me where it became, um, real, where it went from beyond the theology to something even more was when my sister ended up passing away from CF about seven years ago. And as I mentioned earlier, you know, her, her disease was more progressed and she was nearly on a list to get a double, double lung transplant. And then, um, you know, she passed tragically in, in, uh, in the, in a night that, um, she was in the hospital two days before they released her and, uh, they felt that she was healthy enough to go home and continue progressing at home. But, um, she had an episode and, uh, ended up passing in that moment. I think, the weightiness of losing a sister, but also a sister who had the same disease that I have realizing, Oh gosh, this thing, uh, you know, I'm not 15 anymore. I'm not 25 anymore. You know, at that point I was 33 and realizing like, is that, is that what's next? Is that what's inevitable? You know, this is happening. And so it was just all these different things that came together. Um, that I think I needed to, to learn, there's a line from a John Mark McMillan song. He's a Christian artist. And he says, um, I don't have an answer for hurricane or cancer, but a savior who suffers them with me. And I think that is what I had to learn in those moments where you feel like there's not a verse, there's not a theological truth, but there is a savior who's present and who's there and can be the good shepherd and can lead you when you feel like, I don't know what's going on. So through grief, through, through those diagnoses that we get, sometimes that's, that's all we have is just to lean on him. Mm-hmm. And, and it was in moments, I mean, very real moments I've shared with the church even where I just, I just felt and heard the Lord speak to me, not in an audible voice, reassuring me that he was good even through taking my sister to be with him. And so I think that's a, that's the big part of it is Christianity again has this distinction that we don't just have answers and, and, and philosophically um, satisfying reasons for why we can see bad in the world and why bad things happen to Christians as much as they happen to non-Christians. But we have at the center of our faith, a cross <laughs> suffering savior who said, um, you may not always understand the why, but we know what it's not. And this is a Keller thing, right? We know that it can't mean that he doesn't care or that he doesn't love us because why the cross then? Mm-hmm. Why do we have a suffering savior that has to at least show us that this side of heaven, we may, we may not answer the why, 
but we also know it can't mean that he doesn't care. So that's been super helpful to me. Wow. Thanks for sharing that, especially about your sister's death. And I know that's a, that's about as tender as it gets and as close to home as it gets for a man. And Mm. I'm sure that was a scary moment for uh, you and, and Bree, your whole family, uh, you know, you're, you're grieving, mm-hmm. but you're also frightened. And I was kind of wanting to ask you just about, you know, you mentioned Bree and her willingness to marry you, knowing that you had CF. And um, I, I know that she knew even before you guys really became just even an item, you know, mm-hmm. really. So that was something that she processed and, you know, thought through and considered. And I'm curious, what are some of the ways that she has helped you? And conversely, what are some of the ways that you have helped her? Because what an interesting thing. I'm sure there's moments where she's feeling the weight of it. She's feeling, you know, uncertain about the future or scared or frightened about what might happen to you. Mm-hmm. Yet God is wanting to use you to minister to her in that time mm-hmm. that she's afraid. And you have no assurance to be able to say, oh, don't worry about it, babe. I'm, I guarantee you I got another 50 years. Yeah, like you that can't, doesn't, yeah, can't it say doesn't go very things, far. Yeah, you know? totally. Yeah, no, oh man. There's so many things that she has done to help me. It, I mean, the practical just every day like hey you better do your stuff Mm -hmm. (laughs) you better take care of your body because if you don't like that doesn't just affect you anymore don't be selfish you know kind of a thing as a single guy you know there's this thing of man i'm just okay i'm gonna i'm gonna just go hard for the lord and you know i'm gonna do his work as long as i can while i'm here and um God's like, well, you could be here longer if you took ownership of your body that I gave you. And so it kind of took my wife to really come into my life for my, for ownership of my disease to really become um, what it needed to be. So I'm so grateful for her for that. She's a planner. She's organized. She's disciplined. Um, There's a lot of those things that I'm learning, (laughs) but I'm thankful that, um, God brought her into my life. So, so that fact has been so good. I think she's also helped me, um, I think be a a little bit more nuanced in how I think about difficulty. Uh, It hit me years ago when there was something that we both had experienced, like a hardship that wasn't related to my disease that we both experienced. And my, my muscle memory or my reflex was all right suffering happened like sin results in brokenness. Yeah. So, so how can we cope with this? And I realized for her, her, her kind of, um, way of processing with it was first kind of trying to kind of, um, wrestle with, Hey, why, you know, why is this thing even here? Why is this thing even happening? And, um, I think, I think I realized that she thinks on a level even deeper than I do because of the way that God has made her to be um, so thoughtful and so um, forward thinking that I think it helped me to, to get even deeper in, in how I process information. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and so 
that's been really great to even even feel things and even go deeper into um, the implications of of our future together. And so that's been really good. I think I don't really know fully how how I've helped her. Um, you know, if there is one thing, I, she knows that I'm more of the optimist and she knows that, um, you know, I am going to look at things and, and try to find, you know, I guess the silver lining. That's not always encouraging to someone like her in the moment, right. you know, but I think that probably has had a helpful effect in our marriage, you know, raising children. There's a lot of, you could be doomsday about a lot of things, but, um, but I think we balance each other out and I hope through what God's done in me and, and what God continues to do. Um, I mean, there was even something on the way here. She texted me. We were waiting to hear back on something and not related to my condition, but the Lord answered a prayer of ours and it was this really cool thing. And, you know, I just texted back, man, praise the Lord. She said, praise, praise God. I said, he is good, you know? And, and to me, I, those things, I just, I love connecting with the goodness of God because I think God just gets a bad rap from so many people like in our world. And there's so many crazy things happening that, man, we need to remember to find praise and find thankfulness and gratitude for the things that he really has his fingerprints on. Mm. So. Well said, yeah. well said. Well, Matt, before I close this out and, and wrap up this podcast, are there any last uh, perspectives or encouragements that you would want to give to someone who's listening today, whether they're themselves dealing with a chronic disease, perhaps even CF, or have someone in their life that they care for that they're trying to minister to? Is there anything that you'd like to say as we wrap it up? Yeah, man, there's, there's so much I think you could say. And um, I know that you know, my heart would be to sit down with somebody like we're doing face to face and hear the fears that they have, um, the concerns, the things that they've had to grieve, maybe the losses that they've experienced and to just be able to sit with them a little bit, because I think that is probably the most helpful thing I know for me when there have been seasons in my life. And there's a good friend of mine here that, you know, few years ago in my disease, there was just some things that I was, I was having a hard time reconciling and it wasn't reconciling with it, whether God's good or, you know, my theology, but just practically like, Oh man, this is, this is kind of, you know, when you get something lodged in your head and it's just hard to shake it out, it was just lodged in there and it was producing a fear in my life. And I remember just spending a good hour or two with a friend and this friend was so helpful to just let me talk and just let me process and not have to have a bunch of answers, but just ask questions that I wasn't asking of myself. And I just kind of needed somebody else. And I, I, you know, I was able to, to, to cry and I was able to process and I'm just so thankful for that kind of friend. And so I would just encourage people to be present to be present with those that are going through difficulty and be patient. And, and in some ways that's one thing that we can do right as believers, as brothers and sisters, we can bear each other's burdens. That's kind of a hard work, but man, is there anything more Christ like than 
bearing each other's burdens. It's literally, you know, what Jesus did for us on the cross. And so I think if you're observing someone who's going through something, just being willing to maybe slow down. And how are you doing? How are you doing with your hope? And because despair is a killer, you know, what's the saying? You can live, um, you know, uh, 40 days without food, four days without water, two minutes without air, but you can't live four seconds without hope. (laughs) Um, And so despair, this idea that there's an absence of all hope, it's just something the Bible has so much to say about. Psalm 43, you know, you got the psalmist who's literally just kind of preaching to his own heart, you know, do not, do not give up, do not lose hope, trust in the Lord. And, uh, and so, I would just say um, to the person who can be an encouragement to be present, to be there, to the person who's going through this, just remember that we have an eternal weight of glory that is on the other side. Like this isn't all there is. And when you feel the pains and the, the brokenness and the the effects of this fallen world, whether it's through aging or whether it's through an illness or a disease. It, it's a reminder that we have something better to look forward to. <laughs> and if you need encouragement, um, for me, the people that I admire so much are those that have gone through intense suffering, but have just been refined in the furnace of pain. Corey Tin Boom is one of them for me that I just find so much encouragement from Joni Erickson Tata, you know, in other words, get anything from those women that you can get your hands on if you're in that place of dealing with chronic pain and illness. But, um, but no, you're not alone, I guess. You know, you have a suffering Savior who's there with you. You've got a cloud of witnesses that have come before you. Paul understood what it was like to have a thorn in his flesh. And we know the promise, Second Corinthians you know, 12, 9, that um, his grace is sufficient. I love it. That's a... Great closing word, because I think that human beings can be very resilient if we have just that little bit of source of encouragement or listening ear or someone to help us process things. I mean, human beings can go through a lot, but it's mm-hmm. really hard to go through it alone. So that's a, it's a beautiful way to close things out. Well, Matt, I'm... You know, as the pastor of the church here, so thankful to God that he brought you and Bree mm. here from the Central Valley, you know, seven or eight years ago. And so blessed at the work that you're doing right now in the church, the work that you have done in the church, the way you're leading your wife and your family. So mm. thanks for everything you're doing. And thanks, man. we as a church body and family who know you will be praying for you, praying Thank that you. God continues to give. Uh, you wisdom and managing your CF and also uh, great wisdom and breakthroughs to your medical team so that they know, you know, how to take care of you. And we'll just be asking God to continue to sustain your physical body so that you can Mm. continue to, you know, be what you are in this uh, church community. But thanks Thanks, again for chatting about this, talking about something that's so personal and uh, you bet really appreciate you, man. We pray that today's discussion has blessed you. 
If you enjoyed today's episode, please like, subscribe, and share so we can continue to reach people and make Jesus famous in our lives and the lives around us. Until next time, God bless.